You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. And if you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... Then you've come to the right place. Welcome home! On today's show, we're going to be talking about evangelicals and sex. Yep. But before we get into the snark, a few, 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 few quick bits of housekeeping. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you'd like, you like this show, make sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps to get the word out to new listeners, and I appreciate it. And if you want a way to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. You can also drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline if you want to leave a message. That will probably end up on the air. The number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. We've got an action-packed show ready for you guys this week. But first, before we really hop into this, I want to be able to kind of give a shout-out to to all of our listeners in Texas that you guys have been through a rough week. I hope you guys are starting to do better as you're getting power back, as you're getting water back. Thoughts and prayers for your Senator Ted Cruz. Because seriously, I mean, come on. I've got friends in Texas, and and this is awful. This is awful what's happening there. And we also understand Ted Cruz is awful, so I guess this does kind of make sense. But that's like Ted Cruz leaving his state that is frozen with no, like, state that's locked down, frozen, no power, people suffering, people dying, and good old Ted's got to hop on a plane. I mean, usually if Ted's leaving, we should kind of be thankful. But, 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 no, this is, this is like the equivalent of, of, of someone sitting down and like eating a hand sandwich in front of a starving person. And Ted Cruz is kind of that ham sandwich. Like, uh, no, no offense to ham sandwiches out there, but like, like, if Ted Cruz were a ham sandwich, I feel like it would be like just like two pieces of like stale bread with ham in between them. But, but before you got the sandwich, someone dropped the ham in the dirt several times, didn't really dust it off, but slapped it between those two pieces of bread. That is the equivalent of Ted Cruz. He is that kind of a sandwich. 
And yes, yes. So in all honesty, no, I'm seriously, my heart is going out to all of you that are in that region and that are suffering and just honestly praying <laughs> for you guys to be able to get power, to be able to get water back, because this, this is something that should not be happening. But you're enduring this. Stay strong. There are better days ahead. And and even like being able to see what's going on down there where it's looking like a third world country in Texas, it's actually just a good reminder for me um, in this season. Because I'll tell you, like there's up and ups and downs of, of life and pandemic. Come on, this isn't your parents' pandemic. Because we haven't really had a situation like this. And, and it's been very just up and down for me personally. And recently a friend of mine was asking, um, was on social media, what, like where, where am I finding joy and hope? And for me lately, it's simply just been <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> There's been a lot of crazy stuff happening, uh, and a lot of difficult stuff happening in the world today and in, 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 in our lives. And, and I've had to like spend a little time reflecting inwardly and being able to say, well, yeah, this isn't how you want life to be. This isn't the way you want things to be going, but I really need to be thankful. I need to be thankful I've, I've, my family has stayed healthy. I need to be thankful that I've able, uh, been able to maintain a job that's been 90% of what it was pre-COVID times. So I, I can't complain there. And, and hey, so he was asking me, what do I find joy in? I find joy in bees. Just going to share that with you guys. Bees, the little buzzy things, because I am buying bees this year. That's right, folks. I used to be a beekeeper. Bet most of you didn't realize that. Because who doesn't respect the guy in the funny beekeeper face shield hat thingy that mesh goes over your head? No, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for spring. I'm thankful for new life and new things and being able to get out of the house more and work in the dirt because that was my uh, pandemic 1.0. That was my way to stay sane. And now that the weather is getting nicer, I'm out working in the dirt again, and it kind of makes me feel a little bit more human. So how are you guys doing? Where are you finding joy? Well, that was rhetorical, but I am asking you that in a way that you can go, oh, yeah, where am I finding joy in my head? I'm not going to wait for the answer, but you kind of know what I'm going after here. Where are you finding joy? Hey, one way that I was finding joy that's going to make you label me a total a-hole here is... Guess what? I heard some good news. I recently found a, a video of, of preacher and prophet Lance Wallenau praying that he had healed Rush Limbaugh back in October of 2020. I'm so excited. Rush is going to be so happy to hear this. So let's hear what Lance had to say. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over that demon of cancer. We take authority over the death sentence that has been brought by hell on this man. Lord, he is summoning all the strength in his being to put on a, a bold face to serve your people. He wakes up every day just to serve, to edify, strengthen, and speak truth to his nation. Now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your powerful hand will come down. We bind that spirit of death, that cancer. Lord, we tear up that assignment right now in Jesus' name. We simply tear up the assignment that is against him, every curse, every vex spell that has been brought on him is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we wrap our arms around this man right now. I mean, it is good to hear that Lance had prayed over Rush. So we now, oh gosh, Rush. I mean, what will we do without him? Oh, what is that? Well, I'm hearing right now that 
Rush Limbaugh died recently. <gasps> so Lance Lance Wall now wasn't wasn't correct. That's that's not really how things always work. Oh, oh gosh, oh gosh. I probably shouldn't have brought this up. Awkward. No, <laughs> I bring up I bring this up on multiple layers here. That I I I I noticed this that many people. Well, I was raised with the idea of. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And yet, Rush Limbaugh is dead. So what do we say? What do we say? What do we say when a horrible human being dies? Because in much of our culture, we have this idea of only speak good of the dead. Because they're dead. But if I want to say something nice about Rush is, okay, I'm not necessarily happy that he died i'm not rejoicing in it but i am happy that rush will be quiet from now on and quit saying hateful bigoted nasty stuff on the air so finding the silver linings and everything today so <laughs> mm -hmm. it's that kind of show that's where my brain's at right now and so feel free feel free to be yourself when abusive, nasty, narcissistic people tend to pass away, I don't think we need to revel in their death, but I also don't think we need to sugarcoat the fact that they were horrible human beings and did and said disgusting things. That's your snarky daily word of wisdom. Enjoy. What? Come on. This is a show called Snarky Faith. Don't expect us to have beautiful eulogies for horrible people. That actually would be a good segment. Beautiful eulogies for horrible people. Why didn't I think of that earlier? Well, we've at least got one segment. One segment that is here to highlight the insanity of Christianity. And it features many of these idiotic prophets that say nonsense and it's not real. Just like Lance Wow now we heard before. So, hey, if you're in the mood for the choicest cuts of Christian nuts... Here we go. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So here in the Christian Crazy, we are here to bring you the best of the worst. Highlighting just the idiocy, the idiocy of Christianity. That doesn't even rhyme. See, that's why I never made it as a beat poet. I tried. I tried. And I cried. And I cried. No, okay. Sorry. Off of poetry. Hey, you want to hear something that's really, really stupid from Fox News? <laughs> Host Bill Hemmler? Well, this will be a good one to kick us off here. Because cancel culture's coming for the Bible. I tell you, if they start canceling these American presidents, they're going to come after Bible characters next. Yeah, you could, you could. Mark my word. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. right, right, really right. Then they go after one book that has names of people. There's going to be other books that probably have names of people. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're coming for everyone. They're, what? They're going to cancel Bible characters now? I mean, come on. Didn't Rome already cancel Jesus on the cross? hey <laughs> Sorry, Jesus, that was just low-hanging fruit. Kind of like low-hanging fruit from a fig tree. But wait, didn't you already cancel that fig tree? Oh, double Jesus. 
And don't even get me started with Jesus' issue with water. What? He had water, said, no, I want that to be wine. And then later in the story, he walks all over water. Come on. Jesus was savage. I mean, he was savage, but he was no dummy. He was no dummy. Speaking about dummies, let's hop in with our Christian crazy little taste here with evangelist Mario Marillo. Because Mario don't get what happened during the election. He doesn't. And if he uses his brain enough, it's going to hurt him. You have one of two choices when you look at Biden. And the best answer is that it's fraud that put him in there. Because the other one is, is that America is really stupid. <laughs> and I don't really want to face the fact that America is stupid. So Mario here is struggling, struggling in his little brain going like, I don't, it must be a fraud because everybody loves Trump. I mean, how could America not love Trump? I mean, how could they not elect him? Because we all love him. He is our new Messiah and we love our Trump. Mm. America must be stupid if they didn't elect him. <laughs> it kind of goes the both ways there, Mario. Like, America did elect him first time because they were stupid and then kind of learn from their mistakes so they're a little less stupid so if that helps you at all mario yeah there's a bit of stupid in a lot of this anytime you're dealing with trump stuff it's gonna be dealing with a fair amount of stupidity so just because you're an idiot mario don't worry about it don't worry about it you're in the christian crazy you're all idiots here sorry prophets and pastors in the christian crazy you're all my favorites not one of you is dumber than the rest. I mean, you're all equally pretty dumb. And you're really doing horrible things to Christianity. So, really, choosing my favorite is kind of like also choosing the one I hate the most. <laughs> you're all just terrible. But if I'm going to pick the most terrible today, that would go to Greg Locke doing some sort of performance theater on stage at church. Maybe that's that. Preaching? Eh, I don't know what it is. A little too much cocaine? That sounds about right. I'm so fired up I could rip his pulpit in half right now, praise God. You got the wrong one if you think I'm going to get up and say, well, ladies and gentlemen, there was a time that I believed the Bible was the word of God, but no longer. The Bible is just not productive these days. After all, Joe Biden is the president. No, he's not. If you believe the Bible, you believe that too, amen. So, yes, I should remember to that Bible verse that tells me that Joe Biden is not president... I believe in the Bible, and since my Bible tells me that, that must be true. And I hope by now you're figuring out the show is full of sarcasm. And there's a lot of prophets and pastors that are having a hard time believing that Joe Biden is president. I know, I know, me too. Joe Biden is, it's even hard to get out of my mouth. Joe Biden is, ah, oh, it's so hard to, die. ah, it'll just have, it'll have to grow on me. It'll have to grow on me because it's just hard to believe. Because let's listen to Charlie Champ. And he's a pastor and he just don't get it. Charlie, just, Charlie, don't get There's it. No denying and you'll never convince me that the election was not stolen. It's just, it, I, I just will wait for history 
to tell the story. Because you're really, he's he's right. He's wise. Wait, wait for history to tell the story and really just gouge your eyes and ears out so you cannot see or hear anything going on because really we just need to wait for history to publish history's story. Or maybe, maybe the History Channel. Maybe once it's on the History Channel, we can, huh? I, I just love, I don't believe it. I just can't. I just can't. But he's not the only one. Robin Bullock has has come up with some mind-blowing things because that's what prophets do. So see, see, listen carefully. Listen carefully because he's not going to say it twice. And it's kind of complicated. It's like an A to B to C to Z. It's, there's like quadrants. There's a whole lot of other. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And... Uh, Apparently, Robin has the kind of brain to understand such complicated things like that's a rock. That's a tree. I have a pencil. These are tough. These are tough. But you need people tough like Robin to be able to delve into deep, deep, deep intellectual thought and questions. People say, well, we need to pray for the president. Yes, Donald Trump. Pray for him. People say, we need to pray for, for the president. You, you can pray for the office of the president. You can pray for a man named Joe Biden, but you cannot pray for President Joe Biden because there's no such man. He doesn't exist, and he knows he don't exist. I, that, you know, I think we should ask that question of Joe Biden. Joe Biden, don't you know that you don't exist? I mean, he knows it. He knows he don't exist. Because how do we go around saying whether or not we exist? I mean, I think for Robin, every once in a while, like on the hour, his like his watch will beep and he'll be like, I exist. See, as long as I do this on the hour, I'll make sure I exist. I haven't heard him say I exist. I've never heard Joe Biden say that. So he's not there. So really, that's just how history works. I'm the best at playing hide and seek because all I do is close my eyes because no one can see me. My eyes are closed. Oh, that's just how it works. I'm the all-time champion. Uh, if you have time, just go ahead and look at Pastor Robert B Robin Bullock. It's a treat. It's a treat. He looks like an 80s hairband reject that went hard on the Jusper men hair dye. I mean, this is like this is like Giuliani quality, like like the dead of midnight color. How do you see that? I mean, you look into his hair and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like you see nothing. It is a void. How does someone how does someone have hair that dark at that age? No less. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. And it really just goes to show you that that really we should never again listen to Robin, Robin Bullock. Because <laughs> Robin Bullock knows he don't exist. He does. He just knows it. You can kind of roll right into kind of that Matthew McConaughey. He knows it don't exist. And what he does, when he feels like he exists, he drives a Lincoln. Mm. Mm. All right. Essentially, if we've reached the point of the Christian crazy where I'm doing really bad impressions, it pretty much means we need to exit. So I think that's my warning sign. And, and, and for those that listen to this on podcast, not the terrestrial listeners, here's what I'll do. For those that listen to the show and enjoy this kind of insanity, I'm going to give you a 
little choice cut at the end of the show of some cat care crazy. Like, really crazy. Crazy the only way that cat care knows how to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's at the end of the show and only if you're listening on podcast. So first to end the Christian crazy and to send into our conversation, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give this last little bit up to the you almost got it award. Like so close, like so close. He almost got it. I mean, I love it. I like to encourage the prophets. I love to encourage them. Like when they actually get close to saying something truthful and like actually yeah, yeah, actually hitting something on the head. Yes. So in my in my act of encouraging, we want to encourage Frank Amedia. Frank Amedia, because, I mean, he's kind of like the dog, like, oh, you, you didn't crap on the puppy pads, but you crapped near the puppy pads and not on my pillow. So I'll take the win. Case in point. But how could we expect God to bless and anoint arrogance and pride that invokes the name of the Lord. And there's the key that invokes the name of the Lord and that uses the people of God as a political asset. So we're good. He's seeing manipulation. He's seeing how Trump manipulated evangelicals and Christians. Yes, yes, yes. And that's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing, isn't it? Isn't it, Frank? It's bad. Now, everybody uses the people of God as a political asset. That really became the light and the moral majority. You and I could talk about that. So let's let's not, you know, uh, be disdain about that too much. That's not a sweep it under the rug kind of a statement you have there. That Oh, well, we do manipulate people, but... Eh, par for the course. But invoking the name of the Lord, God does one thing after another thing. The man had assignments all along, I said, because the Lord told me it's about his assignments. Pro-life, the Supreme Court, the Space Force, moving the embassy to Israel, supporting Israel, not forcing Israel into a two-state nation. You know, Steve, I'm the one who gave him those points for his APAC speech. So God has a laundry list that he gives to each of us? What? What? I'm not meant to be married to two people. I don't need two to-do lists. Come on! Uh, But I do love how he threw in there that on God's to-do list, they had Israel and Space Force. Uh Uh-huh. But where did it go wrong? But here's the key. Who got the glory? And who was he taking the glory to? Was he thanking God for it publicly? Was he pointing to God for it? what we saw over and over and over to the point that it was nostalgic to even those of us who wanted it to happen. We all got tired of his tweets. We got tired of him talking about himself. We got tired of him promoting himself. Well, guess who else? Guess who else got weary with it? I mean, I got tired of it. A lot of America got tired of it. Most of the world got tired of it. I mean, oh, you aren't being rhetorical here. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That one's on me. So who got tired of it? God Almighty. He's sovereign. And his word tells us very clearly, I give my glory to no one else. Pride goes before the fall. And a haughty heart, the Lord detests. It even says he hates it. Oh, my goodness, Frank, so close, so far away, but so close in so many ways. Like, I'm going to be like one of my kids' math teachers, be like, well, I did see the work you were doing, so I'll give you partial credit there, Frank. So, hey, 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 I think we need to praise you. You got close to the litter box. Not quite in there, but it's progress. You admitted that, hey, what? 
Trump kind of was in it for himself. He used others. This isn't what God wanted. And apparently at the end of the day, though, I would say that this is kind of a little bit weird, that you were mad that, oh, you're quoting scriptures and, well, God needs the glory. God needs the accolades, not Trump, which kind of makes God sound like just like Trump, that God's a bigger narcissist than Trump. And God's like, ah, you'll never overthrow me, Orange Donald. And Donald's like, but I will. Oh, this is like the Tower of Orange Babble. No, no, just really babble. So, yes, I want to give praise where praise is due. So you can see some folks kind of seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, kind of like slowly making connections to reality. You know? I got to just call it where I see it. So that was a tiny bit of hope. So probably I shouldn't have ended the Christian crazy talking about a small glimmer of hope in the world today because we've got some, we've got a little bit of rough terrain to get through before we get to the major hopeful stuff in our show that we're going to talk about today. I said at the beginning of the hour that I wanted to be talking today about evangelicals and sex. Two things that are very problematic uh, when put together. And we want to kind of talk a little bit about why that is a, a way for us to be able to look at this differently um, and really reframe this in a way that hopefully in talking about sex, we are able to also understand the nature of God better in the end, in the end, okay? But we've still got the kind of like... Uh, Annie Lennox, we got to walk on some broken glass before we got to get to that point as I set this up. So, yeah, let's get in some broken glass already. So, hey, Robbie Zacharias, thoughts? Thoughts on Robbie Zacharias? Yeah, we're hopping right in on this. So, for those that don't know, or those that do, just follow along with me here. Robbie Zacharias is an Indian-born, Canadian-American Christian apologist. Was a big deal in the Christian world. Uh, he toured the country. He spoke. Um, his ministry was for more than 40 years. He was the author of more than 30 books on Christianity. Uh, had won many different awards, too, um, within this. He was a bestseller, and he was the founder of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, because, you know, as we Christians know, humility is at the heart of Christianity, so we need to make sure that we name every ministry after ourselves. That's just kind of the way Jesus would do it. Jesus would do it. Mm -hmm. That was sarcasm. So Robbie, Robbie Zacharias died last year. And he died. People are like, oh, tear, mourn. This is so sad. As people do when they die in the Christian world. And we only want to remember the good stuff. And then the bad stuff happened. People began to come out and talk about Robbie being a predator. Um, really just a sexual creep. Uh, there were many different multiple sources that said he had different variations on the scale of sexual misconduct sliding all the way down to rape. Also just exposing himself because Robbie, Robbie was one of those guys that likes to hang out in a massage parlor. I shouldn't need to say anything more than that. But yes, a massage parlor where he figured that every day was a happy ending for a guy that has an international ministry, as most of these assholes do. 
And sure, it could be easy to be able to chalk this up to being like, hey, this is kind of like just continuous continuation of the whole like Me Too movement. How is Zacharias like different than people like Weinstein or Matt Lauer, but more fun than Army Hammer? I mean, it's tale as old as time. Dudes do bad with power. And there's a reason why this show involves talking and not singing. Got it. My point being here is that in, in the world uh, of patriarchy, this, this, is, this story is nothing new. But why I feel like talking about people like Ravi Zacharias or even like Carl Lentz, and where, where we begin to see within Christianity how we've set up this, this toxic culture for celebrity worship and pastors. But I think that it would be too easy for us to simply just assume that that's it. And I do want to talk more on the show about what I actually think the core of the problem is, and it's not celebrity culture. It's really how the church talks about sex. The way we talk about sex frames how we have a culture around sex within the church, right? You got that? So how we talk about it reveals the culture we have, reveals the beliefs and theology and ideology and all the crazy stuff that therapy should probably cure people of uh, within Christianity when it comes to sex. So yes, we're going to have an open conversation about sex. Before we get to that, I, I just kind of want to also talk about how these problems continue to perpetuate themselves. And they perpetuate themselves through this. Someone stumbles. Someone does something bad that hurts people or is embarrassing or is immoral or wrong or whatever, whatever. You have, you have a Christian leader. There, there's a familiar process this. Christian leader uh, ends up having affair, affairs, predatory patterns, rapey, whatever. But you end up hearing this, and then there is a way that Christianity contains the fallout. And that the way that fallout is contained continues to perpetuate the problem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's kind of how it works, right? The problem happens, we denounce it. And then we try to reframe it. And then we try to move on because, hey, that, he was just a bad dude, right? Right? Bad dudes rape people. And we'll just cancel him and move him out of the way. After all, Christians invented cancel culture. Look back. Pretty sure they did. I'm pretty sure that is a historically accurate statement that Christianity invented cancel culture. They have perfected cancel culture. And now they're not so cool about what they've created. It was my greatest creation until other people started using it. How dare they? How dare they? It's the God that gives me the power to cancel you. You don't cancel me. Because God told me I could cancel you. It's how judgment works. Urgh. Frustrating for American Christianity right now. I know, folks. But before we hit the source of the problem, I really just want to look in, in, in the way this whole paradigm unfolds. Okay? So first, and don't tell me this. Don't tell me that there were not accusations about Ravi Zacharias until after his death. Don't tell me that that didn't happen. Because I think back in 2017, he had actually had a lawsuit and signed a non-disclosure agreement. So <laughs> good guys signed non-disclosure agreements, said no one ever. So we have that. And I would just love it. I mean, even though the fact that 
The whole idea of a non-disclosure agreement means that we want to bury it and keep it hidden, but how do like how do nonprofits how are we even allowing le- leaders of nonprofits to be able to orchestrate and yeah, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different story. Sorry, sorry. Pattern here is this. People accuse someone of doing something bad because they're doing something bad. Okay? Uh, people deny it from the organization. No, 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 you're wrong. Meh, 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 meh. Then what they do is people from either the person that's being accused or the sycophants around him will probably call out those people that are saying stuff and be like, no, we don't know them. They're terrible. They're horrible. They're, you know, they just want money. So we've already done something horrible. And then when someone who's been a victim comes out and says, I'm a victim, we're like, no, you're not a victim. You're terrible. So now what begins to happen is the Christian industrial complex adds layer two denial but not just denial we also need to accuse and defame and tell these people that they're bad and blah 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 blah. also if you sprinkle in scripture and kind of make it sound more holy oh that's even better and by better i mean worse uh and then eventually that cruises on maybe there's other incidents because the problem's never been dealt with like zacharias had lots of interesting problems uh with women on the road and being able to try to groom people as well too but then when he admitted his problem was he admitted that oh he didn't do anything wrong he just wasn't as careful as he could have been with his cell phone because hey we all know how that is because hey having a cell phone is very difficult because you know it constantly asks me to sin what app do i have that asked me to do that no 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 (laughs) but we end up coming up with these lame excuses after the truth finally comes out and in his case the truth comes out after he's dead so of course the christian missionary alliance who had uh given him his ordination comes out with a statement, this. Mr. Zacharias's actions were in direct violation of his obligation to demonstrate his commitment to serve Christ and his people throughout his devotion, character, lifestyle, and values. In recognition for this gross violation and its painful consequences to the victims and others who were impacted, the Christian and Missionary Alliance posthumously expels Mr. Zacharias from licensed ministry in our denomination. Hmm... So once he's dead, they pulled it. Don't worry, folks. He's not going to be raping people in the name of Jesus and ordained at the same time now that he's dead. Because that was helpful after the fact. And also when victims weren't listened to along that point. Okay. Uh. The other responses coming from the Gospel Coalition. So I love this. I alluded to this a minute ago about cell phones. Um, they began by saying this, thanks to the uh, friendly atheist. He had actually uh, got this article off his website. And um, it goes like this. Here is the Gospel Coalition talking about Zacharias. I don't see a lot of surprise because his abuse looks like the pattern of sexual or exploitation we've come to understand from men who betray trust. We've learned to identify the steps. He preyed on the vulnerable. He leveraged his ministry to influ- influence and intimidate victims. He convinced the world he couldn't be the kind of monster they imagined sexual predators to be. Wow, that's so good. But then they kind of keep going. At the same time, ah, man, why didn't they just stop there? At the same time, 
Digital communications helped Zacharias in his abuse. Indeed, it would be hard to imagine his crime without the ubiquity of smartphones for taking and sharing sexual images. It's not just boys in junior high who know how to demand nude selfies. We used to think that the Billy Graham rule and windows on the pastor's door protect victims. We now know they're more likely to be targeted through text messages on burner phones. Sex is increasingly disembodied with the ubiquity of porn. Abuse follows the same pattern. Ministry policies for prevention and protection must fully account for this shift. That's right. If you're in ministry, you need to check all your burner phones. Because that sounds like what you're talking about someone that would be a criminal would do. So we need to make sure that ministers aren't using smartphones because of internet and porn and things. They might as well just go and be monks. Really, that's how we're going to handle this. Because, you know, Ravi was doing his thing, and then the cell phone said, hey, be a pervert. Go and get rapey with people. Because I am a self... What is... This is so ridiculous and stupid. So, yes. So, evangelicals, we will blame... Blame the device. Blame the device. It's the device. But they also do this where other pastors have come out and been like, well, kind of this other mentality, this posture of like, well, it could happen to all of us. It's a slippery slope. We could somehow just be there one day, and then we're sexually raping people. I mean, we're all on that slippery slope of rape. I mean, come on. All right, come on, people. Let's use false humility here. You know, we're all there. <laughs> what should we do? Uh. Yeah, I've heard that enough. I've heard that enough because I've been in ministry long enough to... Let me try to think about this. Out of the... I'm trying to think of like five or six Christian churches and Christian ministries that I've worked with over my career, I can at least think of five instances where... Several instances, actually, at least three of them, where the leader or the CEO ends up having an affair, lies about it, Blah, 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 bad stuff happens, and then, yeah, then that comes out. And then there's a fallout to where the rest of Christianity is like, oh, those people are bad. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. They make us feel dirty because it could be me. Because really, the rest of the church is just upset because they're like, well, that idiot got caught. I would never get caught. What I'm saying is the way the church is teaching sex and the way that we are framing our ethics around sex are wrong. And it is causing a problem that is continuing to be perpetuated. Now, now our, we live in a culture where this is very complex. I know in many ways we've lived in, uh, if we're talking about American culture, that has been vastly patriarchal for a long time. So that also lends itself towards sexual abuse. But, but especially within the church, uh, the church that has been around for thousands of years, uh, church has not done sex very well either. Hello, Catholic church, or actually any other denomination that is just happy they haven't had as many issues as the Catholic Church called out in public is kind of how it is. I've worked for Southern Baptist churches. I've worked for Methodist churches. I've worked for Foursquare churches. I've worked for ministries across the spectrum, and I've seen the same thing happen, and it isn't about theology. It isn't about whatever spectrum you're on. It's about, it's about the fact that Christians are profoundly uncomfortable with sex. I'm just going to say that. Christians don't like to talk about sex. They, they don't really know how to deal with sex. And sex is something that we're inherently wired for in many ways. 
and we need to create rules around it because as I'm a man, I can't control my penis. Is kind of really what the church has come up with. Over over 2,000 years, the church has been able to say, well, this may sound patriarchal, but it's, you know, pretty much biblically true that uh, men can't control their penises and women just have to deal with it. I mean, I feel like that's like, that's like over history, that's kind of where we've come to this answer. No, this is not right. No, this is not really what anyone has said. But if you kind of look at how things have played out, you know, whether we want to say this is orthodoxy or dogma, if you continue to do a practice and continue to do it over and over and over and over and over again, it's a system, it's a dogma, it's a belief, whether you call it or not. Okay? Okay. So what I really wanted to hop in with which is probably the only refreshing article I read in the whole wake of Ravi Zacharias, uh, was this. It's an article by Sheila Ray uh, Grigori. And she did this as an opinion piece for the Religion News Service. And her article is entitled, Is the Evangelical View of Sex at the Root of Our Scandals? I love her question. The answer is yes. End of story. Show's over. Bye. No. Uh, but I love what she does here. She begins to go through uh, in her article, and I, I'm gonna just I'm gonna hit a I'm gonna just hit some kind of like top points of where she's getting at here. And what she's unpacking is over the last and and I can think of this, at least over the last 20 years, especially in Christian uh, publishing culture, uh, evangelical culture, is, is the way that we have learned to try to handle talking about sex. And we do that from the marriage standpoint all the way down to, like, the teenagers and kids. Like, we've seen anything from purity culture uh, towards, what is it, like, promise keepers and all this. Like, we'll be better men. We'll be good. So all this whole idea, you know, because being a man's hard. Because penises. And God. Because, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And God put the crown on men. Meh. Not true. But that's really how Christian culture has operated, and it's problematic. So here's a rundown that hits me where I was at, because I was actually youth pastoring in these days, and I remember these books. I remember the stuff that we were trying to do, and I just, I'm sad that I was even part of any of this stuff. Um, she begins by talking about like books like this, like uh, in Tim LaHaye. Uh-huh. Tim, that was Tim LaHaye. In his book, The Act of Marriage, he had this kind of idea. He said, women must cultivate the problem of visual lust. Whereas men almost universally must cope with the problem just because they're men. Uh-huh. Anyone hear about this book? Anyone hear about this book back in the day? Every Man's Battle? Mm. Where they also say, we find another reason for the prevalence of sexual sin amongst men. We go there naturally, simply by being male. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, that's a thing. That's a thing that was like in the publishing world. And you know what? We're probably going to get towards blaming women <laughs> real quick because that's also part of the blueprint. And even in the popular women's book for women only, it advises women to accept the struggle that their husbands have with lust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. Yes, in the book In Love and Respect also said, if your husband feels you do not respect his struggle, his desire for you, his maleness, He'll pull it back from you. And again, which is the great part of Every Man's Battle, which is a horribly misogynistic book, uh, once he quits telling you that he, uh, once he tells you he's quitting lust, cold turkey, 
And when a man's going to quit lust, cold turkey, because that's how it works, unless cold turkey is her stage name. Ow! What a stripper, cold turkey. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> once a man says he's quitting lust, uh, the women need to be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Yeah. Your wife, quote, can be a methadone light fix when your temperature is rising. Because women are a drug. Uh-huh. I'm going to get a little graphic and a little gross because this is just the way we've done stuff like this. Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman. Mm -hmm. He had said that if his wife was bleeding heavily or recovering from childbirth or not just feeling her best, she needed to help her husband with a hand job. Because men are animals, and ugh, this is just gross. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to just stop this part here. Um, so you get where we're going here. The way that Christian culture has framed men and the boys just be boys part, which we've also seen in broader culture, is the idea that, well, men are just going to do it, and women... You need to be on board because God made them first and God gave them needs and God gave you a whole. So come on, one plus one equals rape. Mm, no, 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 no. But that, that is really how it's been written out. We've seen things like in the past, I've talked about this so much about even the Billy Graham rule, which we talked about earlier. The Billy Graham rule was that, ooh, ooh, the way to keep male leaders pure is to never let them be alone with a woman because, you know, women, they're tempting and, and men can't do anything. And really, women, it's all your fault. So what we've heard from evangelicals are don't leave men alone. If they do it to you, it's your fault. And then if you don't acquiesce, it's kind of also your fault, too. So that doesn't sound abusive and rapey at all. Oh, wait, it completely does. Oh, we need to repent. And I'm not joking. We need to repent, but we also need to do better. And it comes better for how we walk out our sexual ethic. And I, and I, liked, I liked how uh, Gregory had put it. She puts it very, very succinctly. She said, we want to call the evangelical church to something higher, something better, something more centered on the person and the character of Jesus. Until we start talking about Jesus-centered sexual ethic rooted in mutuality and intimacy, we will continue to have these scandals on our front pages because they're reflecting what's happening in our bedrooms. I'll add, and in our churches, and in the pastors, burner phone and office and whatever else. Yes, yes, yes. Don't blame the technology, blame the person. And also then blame the system that has cultivated, that has almost primed the gun for this. Like we have almost... We have essentially done this. We have, in the past, purity culture shamed women into realizing and telling them that their bodies are gross and you need to hide them and, ah, they're only made for pregnancy and birth. Oh, don't tempt boys. And boys are, hey, you just need to tie it off and just simply just don't have sex. And so, yes, so don't be sexual. Don't have sex. Don't do this. That makes God happy. That helps no one, Right. And then even when we get into marriage, what do we teach people? Well, mm, man is the head of the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. So ladies, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, if he's straying, it's probably your fault, which is wrong, which is abuse talk. And it, 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 it blows my mind how much the church is, has been complicit in abuse because it, is, it has taught systems of inequality and said that they were ordained by God 
and said that some people can do what they want and some people just need to follow those people and that's it. And when I think of sex, I don't always think about, I get my way, that's how it works, it's all about me. That's, yeah, 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 seriously. If the church is having to explain to women that sex is a right for a man, the church doesn't understand sex. There, I said it. If the church is okay with dealing with NDAs and in lawsuits, then guess what? The church doesn't understand ministry, Jesus, and God, or any of it. Really, just F your theology at that point. Just screw it all. So fine, Stuart, you've sat here for the last 40 minutes or so complaining about the church. How would you do it better? Well, I'm glad you asked. As a person that's done a bunch of uh, premarital counseling, because I've married many different people. I, sorry, I have been the officiant of many different marriages. I have not married different, many different people. Um, the line that sticks out to me in the Bible that best embodies sex. And the way it embodies sex is it embodies sex through the idea, first, of relationship. And it embodies it through the idea of a mutual relationship. And when I mention mutuality, it means that it's mutually giving, it's mutually affirming, it's mutually honoring. Okay? So that would be a situation where you have mutual footing and mutual yeah, groundwork there. Good. So we're going to get Old Testament. Genesis 2.24. I think it is this. I use this in most of the time, <laughs> most of the times when I'm doing a wedding. But for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one in the flesh. And we see this echoed throughout the Gospels as well, too, where there are no longer two, but one in the flesh. And what we get wrong about sex and marriage and relationships in the church is because we think it's about who's in charge. But from the very get-go, we're literally, literally chapter two of the Bible, and we're already getting it wrong. The two shall become one in the flesh. It doesn't say... Uh, okay, we're going to become one, but you're in charge, and I'm the subservient. You're the dumb. I'm the sub. How does that work? Yep. No. The two become one. You function as a unit. And for two people to function as a unit, it means that you, you love one another, you care for one another, you are self-sacrificial for one another, that you care about the health and emotions and well-being of that other person, that you care about what is happening to them and, and how they are doing in this world, okay? So if we began to talk about sex as something that was beautiful, that was physical, emotional, that's spiritual, that is, is a way of connecting us with someone else, but it's a way of emptying ourselves out in front of another person, much like servitude and humility is. It's this idea that, I'll tell you this. Best way for me to give you an example of it is this. When I was, when I was 16 years old, um, I met my best friend. And that best friend eventually, eventually became my wife. And it doesn't mean that we have not 
<laughs> we've always been perfect. Um, much of our life has really just been <sighs> loving each other well enough to help each other to deal with the baggage that we were dealt with by our parents and life. So loving each other enough to say, I see the potential in you. And life may have not always treated you well, but I see who you are and who you can be, and I want to help you follow what that is. I want to love you with all that I am. I want to help you with all of I am. I want to invest with you with all that I am. And with you, I want to learn to become more and more selfless. Because the more and more selfless I become, the more and more I understand the nature of Jesus and God. For me to love someone like Christ loves the church, it means I'm willing to lay my life down for that. So when we're seeing this in the scriptures, this should be like incredibly like romantic, but we've made this really, really weird. And I don't, I don't understand it. I really, I really don't. And, and I remember this. This is years ago, and this is fun to do. Um, I was talking with, I, I, I actually had a, I was doing a multiple day backpacking trip because I used to work for an organization where we did uh, outdoor rec and Christian evangelism. So we were doing like a multiple day backpacking trip, taking middle schoolers into the backcountry, teaching them survival skills, all this stuff, uh, but also kind of teaching them about God and things of that nature. And I remember having them as I'm driving out, it was like a two hour drive with a bunch of just middle schoolers. And I remember them going like, ah, the Bible, it's not, it's not interesting. It's boring. And I was like, oh, you guys realize the Bible has a ton of sex in it. And they're like, no, it doesn't. And I was like, yes, it does. And the most glorious thing you can ever hear is middle schoolers learning about metaphors as they read Song of Solomon out loud. They're like, what is he talking about? He's climbing trees and grabbing fruit. What would he be grabbing? And they're like, oh. Mm -hmm. So why does Song of Solomon, <laughs> why does Song of Solomon talk so much about love and compassion and wetness and moisture and what all this grabbing and hills and all sorts. Yeah, because it's trying to show you that this really intimate nature of love, this very close nature between two lovers. And in a certain sense, it gives us a way of being able to look at how self-sacrificial and loving God is towards us. So ultimately, the evangelical problem is more about how to deal with people than it is with sex. It's not about relationships. I think it's really partially about the fact that I think being so long in this mentality of evangelism, I think evangelism also teaches people, if you pull it to its furthest degree, teaches people to look at others as they're not humans. It teaches people to say, hey, I need to get you into heaven. Done. Out of here. Next person. I think evangel evangelicalism teaches us to dehumanize people, to see people as sheep, to see people not as humans. And because of it, that's how we treat people. So here's my question for you. God created people. God made men and women in his own image. And God made sex. What does sex say about God? I'm serious. I'm, I'm throwing this back on you. I'm not going to give you the answers to this. What does sex say about God? Not what does the Bible say about sex, what does the Bible say about God, but what does the act of sex say about God? Because I think questions like this are very interesting. I think they lead us 
towards seeing God and experiencing God in a new way. Well, that's all I've got this hour. And before I release you out into the wild, wide world, I want to send you out the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. Catch you guys next week. Peace. And let's make sex, let's make it more loving and more godlike. Because American Christianity's blue balls are a problem for all of us. Ew. Aw, only the best boys and girls hang around towards the end. Let's stay after class, because I told you that I was going to promise you that you would hear something that... <laughs> That was off the rocker. Didn't really fit in the Christian crazy, but it, I mean, wait, I'm sorry. It fits well within crazy. Not with our theme today, but if you're a listener of the show and know anything about cat care, <laughs> crazy goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cat care was talking and in not so threatening tones about being worried about people coming up against her. And she's not so subtly threatening the fact that her angels gonna kill you. They're gonna take you out. Don't mess with this pink-haired bitch! Because her angels gonna cut you. Cut you right up. Woo! Watch out. Don't mess with this girl. I will just say this. I live in Florida. If you're making notes to come and take me down, you'll have to face these 150 foot angels who are with me. <laughs> I always have to give a warning. You will not live in a, a decision like that. Uh, the father has adamantly told me, you're not gonna let anybody take my life. That's not a challenge to you, that's a warning for your, your safety. So this is it. I live in Florida. I think that last bit of information kind of capped it all off. I may say all of this, but remember, folks, I live in Florida. I think that's a good place to leave this show on because all this stuff makes sense in Florida. See you guys next week.